Score, the podcast. The only show taking you inside the studios of the world's most celebrated composers and musical storytellers. Presented by Spitfire Audio. I am Kenny Holmes. What is your name, sir? My name uh, is Robert Kraft. The Craft. This is Score the Podcast presented by Spitfire Audio. I'm having so much fun this season. I just feel like there's a good vibe in the air. Things are getting back to normal, but we still are in these little these little boxes. But it's okay because we're on YouTube now, so you can watch us. Um, we're really excited about our guest today. Before I get to that, though, say hello to composer Carol. Good morning, Carol. Good morning. Composer Carol, would you like to play us some... Some Debussy or smile while your heart is <laughs> breaking. breaking. Carol's got such a beautiful record out. We're all here, and I agree, Kenny, that this is, for some reason, season four has been just joyful so far. I mean, I don't want to jinx anything, but it's just been fun and relaxed and great guests. And yeah, so and we have a lot, a guests. lot of great guests coming up. I wish yep. I could tell you, but. Yeah. A lot of exciting stuff to come, as well as uh, today's guest. He's an Oscar-nominated composer, David Newman. He's part of the Legacy family, the, the what would you call the... the dynasty. The dynasty <laughs> of film music. Alfred Newman, his father, his brother Thomas, his cousin Randy. I mean, this is... He, he was born with a baton in his hand, I think, maybe. I don't know. I think um, you're right. But the list of movies, I mean... Some of the, the my favorite comedies, uh, The Sandlot, Nutty Professor, Matilda, Anastasia, which he was Oscar nominated for, uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, Cat in the Hat, Bill and Ted's, I mean, Galaxy Quest. He's, he's, he's the maestro behind a lot of these Ice classic we did comedies. A great and, oh, yeah, Ice, Ice Age, Age Mighty Ducks. Oh. And he's also uh, a, a renowned comp- uh, conductor um he does a lot of the shows at the hollywood bowl the maestro at the movie show with uh, john williams yep. he's uh, up on the stage doing that if you haven't seen those shows by the way they're back on the schedule things are coming back uh danny elfman has a, a nightmare before christmas show here in la that's on the books uh ludwig Göransson's black panther is going to be playing at the hollywood bowl this year this summer <sighs> Um, and everything's going back to full capacity. So it's an exciting time. Hans Zimmer's uh, Hans Zimmer live experience it has a European tour scheduled in 2022 and all those dates are out. So it just feels, you can feel it. You can feel it in the air. You can feel it that, that things are coming back. And um, hopefully more of these concerts uh, around the country and around the world uh, for many of our listeners to go check out too. But plan a trip to see that John Williams concert Every year, you never know when it's going to be the last one, and you just got to go see it. Um, and they're doing another one this year with David Newman, our guest. So we'll, we'll be able to talk to him about conducting those shows at the Bowl. And also, there may be a tie-in to uh, he's doing the West Side Story remake with uh, Steven Spielberg. And yep. I, I think there might be a connection of, of how he came on board with that film in regard to the Hollywood Bowl. Didn't he conduct uh, a performance of that that you saw? I was there. It was... It was incredible. It, I mean, I, first of all, the movie's incredible, but to hear a live orchestra play that score, which many of us know, every note, every word. I mean, so many, so many people grew up with the West Side Story score, and to hear 
When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way from your first cigarette to your last dying day. And it's just, and to sit in the Hollywood Bowl, which is, I read this weekend, it's considered America's premier outdoor venue. Of You know, there's Tanglewood and there's Red Rocks and there's some great ones, but the Hollywood Bowl is historic. It's been there since, I think, 1924. It's had the Beatles there, and it's had presidents speak there. And so an evening at the Hollywood Bowl, I mean, we might want to make them a sponsor after this little <laughs> right. bit. I was going to say, I can't it, wait to see what they do with Black Panther. Oh. Because with the oh. 808s, and I mean, are they going to have the big drums? Is there going to be digital stuff playing there? Know. But Carol, I know you're excited about that one. Mm-hmm. Damn. I, I wonder if Ludwig will be on stage or just in the audience i don't know if he would hire a conductor something I think to look he'd forward be performing, to you right? think so yeah playing why guitar? Not, right? i don't know maybe or he'll be playing that i think that'd be cool what what's yeah. the uh the, the, i think he played on the mandalorian but no there's oh, there's a little there's a whistle in black panther isn't there I, i'm, I'm, I'm mixing them yes. up in my head now but any, regardless, <laughs> there's so many shows on the books and, and just live events and music is back and um, it's, it's just a good, good feeling. Uh, good before feeling. we get to our interview with David Newman, of course, we want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Spitfire Audio, maker of orchestral sample libraries for film composers. Whether you're just starting out or a seasoned professional, Spitfire has so many sounds you'll love. Yes, they will. And uh, one of the things that I love about Spitfire is that every month they release a new library. Um, I actually download, you know, the free labs, they're called. Um, mm-hmm. It's a whole series of really cool instruments. Um, you can even get an o- entire orchestra for free in the form of their BBC Symphony Orchestra Discover Edition. Some of those labs packages, they're worth, they would be worth buying. The fact that they make yeah. them free is incredible. So high quality. Yeah, they and there's so many different sounds. I mean, you if you go on their website, I, there's got to be like close to 100 different libraries um, yep. and different packages. And here's where the good news comes in for you. Uh, we have a promo code for you that you can use to save on your first Spitfire order. Our listeners save 25% off your first purchase using the promo code SCORE2021. And that's good on all their packages uh, including uh, the one that we're going to play a little cue from for you at the end of the show today, Abbey Road One Orchestral Foundations. That package is a 90-piece orchestra recorded in the same place as Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Avengers Endgame, and so many more. The Big Room at Abbey Road Studios. All those great instruments, and you can use them at your fingertips on your uh, home computers there. How I just want to make sure I got this right. Did you say... 25% off if you use the promo code SCORE2021. No way. I know. Such it's ridiculous. But it's not going to last forever. These uh, these podcasts will be published, and you'll be able to hear them forever, but the promo codes will not. So make sure to get on there, get your SCORE2021 promo code, put it in the cart. That lets them know we sent you, and it saves you 25%. It's exclusive to you, our listeners. And then again, listen for that uh, demo cue at the end of the show today so you can hear some of the different sounds to elevate your music i think we should just get to it we have so much to talk uh, with david newman about and um, let's get right to it we're going to take a short break and when we come back 
Oscar-nominated composer David Newman joins Score the Podcast. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. It's good to see you. I wanted to tell you about this thing called More Score. Have you heard about this? I have heard about it, because, but that's because I read everything. So, I mean, <laughs> there's very little I've It gets printed about. daily and, I'm on and it. Uh, delivered to your front doorstep. Yes. yes, More Score is what it is. It's it's our new Patreon show, and all of our listeners can go check it out. We're putting out episodes all the time, and you're probably wondering, what's Patreon? Have you heard I of am. Patreon Could you before? tell me? Uh, I'd be I'd be delighted to tell you. Patreon is a website where our fans basically can crowdfund and tell us the type of content that they would like us to be able to go produce. So we've been going out and doing interviews with people. Um, obviously, we've we've interviewed you both directly there and a little bit about your lives and, and the people who you've crossed paths with, but also um, Carlos Rafael Rivera the, of uh, the Queen's Gambit on Netflix and uh, the guys from Cobra Kai, which it was kind of cool. We found out that um, when we recorded with Chris Beck for uh, score a film music documentary, those guys were just getting coffee. They might've offered us. I coffee, think uh, Zach uh, we said they did. The I think. And it was great mm -hmm. coffee, which was a great sign for their it futures. Was... Yes. I remember and... that. And I, he, he actually told me, his career has been completely downhill since that moment. <laughs> but that Well, that offering... wasn't in the interview, so it doesn't count. If ah, he said anything darn. of the sort, then uh, it wasn't on the record. Okay, Zach, but, sorry, uh, man. But we're putting these episodes out all the time. More score. How do you get to it? You can go to patreon.com slash more score um, or download the Patreon app and search more score. Oh, of course, here's my alarm going off right as we're recording this. That's because uh, it's so exciting. It's You've like set the alarm off. You, th this is like these little reads that we're doing right now for more score are we're going to do a couple of them and our listeners can collect them all. If they aren't hitting that little 15, you should make an button, NFT out I, of them. Yeah. It, there's I was going to say make a non fungible <laughs> token out of a more score read. Yeah, we could do that. We do have an or official not. season, uh, season four score, the podcast NFT that's now Ooh. available. We have one for each season. Not for each episode, but for each season. So if anyone out there, Heavy. but uh, the we're getting off track. More score is on Patreon. It's uh, you can go to it patreon.com slash more score. We're putting out episodes all the time, and it's extra stuff. It's stuff you won't hear on Score the Podcast. Access to different people, interesting voices, um, and for your support, we have these perks too. So you can get a, a pretty cool little collector's T-shirt that we're putting out now. Um, this coffee mm -hmm. mug that's pretty cool uh, has all the kind of our, our instrument orchestra instrument look on it. It's pretty cool stuff. So uh, you can support us there. Patreon.com/slash/more/score. Hi, this is Howard Shore. You're listening to Score the podcast. Now let's go back to the program. Welcome back to Score the Podcast, presented by Spitfire Audio. We're super excited about our guest today. I know uh, we've been trying to get David on the show for the last couple of seasons, and some scheduling things didn't work out. So now, better than ever, though, he has a huge movie coming out at the end of the year, West Side Story, much anticipated. He's also the composer of so many of our favorite films over the years, uh, one of my personal favorites, Sandlot. That, that music just tells you it's summertime, it's time to go to the ballpark. 
I could go on for forever on your list of films, but David Newman, thank you so much for joining the show today. Our live studio thanks audience. For, thank, <laughs> thanks, thanks for thanks for having it, me. Sandlot, I remember that. I don't think that was you, Robert. I think that was after you left. Because that, that was like an insane... Uh, I, I remember we recorded it mostly in Utah, Jeez. which was a right to work. But then they added about 30 minutes of music, which we then ended up doing... So it ended up being a union movie anyway. It was a it was a, a, a wacky thing. There was a about a thirty minute ending where they go looking for the ball. All this like action stuff. So we ended up doing that. That's when Elliot was there, I think, so, after you or, or was Elliot before after me? You or Sand, before Sandlot you? preceded yeah, me before you. Sandlot, right. I think, because it was on the uh, wall of an executive's office when i first arrived and i thought okay i know this movie and is that a fox movie i knew so little um yeah. but oddly it's a it's a funny even a topic to bring up what little i knew about my job at fox was that i was inheriting a chair literally that your father created yeah. and um uh, the reverence on the lot for the position i was in which was both your father and your uncle's chair prior to me. And Robert, really quick, can you explain so our listeners know what you mean by sure. the chair? So I, I very uh, surprisingly to everyone, most of all me, ended up becoming the head of music at 20th Century Fox, which is a position that was made legendary by the first head of music at 20th Century Fox, Alfred Newman, who happens to be the father of our guest today. Alfred Newman then handed the the job, or the job was inherited somewhere in there, by David's uncle, Lionel Newman. And between the two of them, they spanned something like 50 yeah. years. In yeah, ni 19th, 1939 to whenever Lionel left. I'm not sure I think when exactly he I'd left. I'd like to say eight, it was a 84 or 5. Yeah. So did you how, go to work yeah. with dad a lot back then, David, when you were a kid? Did uh, not no. I'm I was born in 54. My father was born in 1900. He died in 1970. So kind of my I was a little bit too little. Like my cousin Randy, Randy Newman, the obviously the artist and songwriter. Randy spent a lot of time at Fox. In the fifties, in the late fifties, when it was still, uh, um, it was still a studio system with a with a contract orchestra. Meaning they had a full time orchestra. All these studios, they didn't. It wasn't freelance. They were there all the time. They had a a certain number of hours they were paid a week. Uh, if they went over, they were paid overtime. If they didn't work at all, they might not work in the summer. They were still paid. It was like a it, it, it was a full time job, um, and. That all changed in about 1959 when my father left. And then, Robert, I think there was a few years where it, it was turning into more television hmm. stuff, which Lionel was Lionel was doing more of the, the early TV stuff. And then eventually Lionel took it over. And as you said, really ran the department um, as as you did, too. And, and the thing that Robert did was he saved the scoring stage, <laughs> if I may be so bold as to stay. I mean, that that was an incredible thing that happened, that that scoring stage wasn't dumped. I, 
I'm sure you probably talked about this never. on the podcast. But, it's uh, never come up. Oh, it's well, one of the classic locations for film scoring, and I thank you for that. I just remember being told shortly after I arrived that very casually someone said, by the way, we're turning the Fox scoring stage, which was stage one, the legendary location of the first yeah. sound recording on movies, even though Warner's came out with Al Jolson's picture. Yeah. The, the, jazz the jazz singer, singer. Yeah. in 27 Correct. Yeah. but fox had recorded already sound to picture yeah. on that stage i was told very casually we're going to be thinking about turning this into office space we need more yeah. office space on the lot and i said yeah. wait yeah. a minute that that that's <laughs> yeah. crazy well uh, it, it 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 was a miracle also robert it it had been uh, adjusted for television uh it, it, they they made what they call isolation booths, because television was sort of a different way of of recording, and they needed a, a, a booth so that the drummer could be in a booth rather than in the room with the orchestra, et cetera, et cetera. So, but Robert, part of the plan I was was putting it back historically to the way it was, which I I'm, I'm sure was part of the allure of convincing them to actually do this, because not only did they not dump it, they spent a bunch of money restoring it to the way it was in the 30s, 40s, and the heydays in the 50s when it was one of the premier scoring stages um, in, in Los it's Angeles. It's one of those things so that now never happens anymore, which is something actually went right. They, they spent <laughs> right. the requisite amount of dough to restore it. Um, I don't know why we got so lucky that they kind of said, oh, okay, let's do this. I mean, there were larger agendas. We should... Maybe, maybe the, it was the timing. It was, it was great. Yeah, it was great, Robert, too, because the, the, the control room used to be on a second floor, mm. and it was small. But you guys kept the control room that you had because it was so nice and big, and you could fit so many people in it. So it what is the only thing that's different is the control room, and it's a modern, beautiful uh, – it's the best control room room of, of of any of these of these big well the ones that are left i mean it's and you know it's 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 warner brothers fox and and sony are the only ones left there used there used to be a wonderful scoring stage at goldwyn where a lot of classic films were scored mm -hmm. and um and you know uh, uh todd ao on at cbs and they're all but they're all closed now but fox is still going still pumping so, what's and fox is, kudos for that well, listen it kind of is it, it's so wonderful how this also continues into now it's called if i'm not mistaken and i'm not yeah. the newman scoring stage i mean yeah. i would say that yeah. as my car left the lot the last time after my 18 years somebody said okay he's gone let's give it a new name uh the newman scoring stage i mean it was like two weeks yeah. later they decided to name it and david i don't know if you you've had a couple experiences on that stage many 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 experiences but one of the ones that is most memorable for me is you stepped on to that podium and re-recorded the logo written by your father i've yeah. always wondered and this is an opportunity to ask did you find original charts did you do a takedown of no they they had that that 
logo was written in 35, I think, when Alfred Newman was still through the 30s. He was at UA a lot. Um, it, he was working mostly for Goldwyn, mm-hmm. who was kind of freelancing at, at uh, UA, United Artists. But Zanuck loved my dad. Because uh, so, Zanuck loved, Daryl Zanuck loved Fox streets, Studios. Street, yeah, he loved streets. Like Alfred Newman arrived in Los Angeles in 1930. The beginning of 1930, right when talking films had started. Max Steiner came maybe a month earlier. They had both been Broadway conductors and arrangers. And all of a sudden, there's like talking films and where are they going to go find people to do music? Because now they got to do music, right? So they go to Broadway, which is the, the place to go. And so one of the first film, and they were trying to figure out like, how do you score a film, right? Do you have music all the way through do you have no music and and the directors and editors and everyone kept saying well if there's music where does the music come from i i you know it, it, so they had this argument all through the 30s where finally they sort of figured it out but in 1931 my dad did a movie called street scene and it had an overture that was very modern very american very new york it's it's it, it the the movie ta- it, it was a play the movie takes place on a on a block in New York in the summer, and it's a, it's a murder. It's a noir, sweaty New York kind of theater thing. And he wrote this theme, and then there was there was a big like montage in the middle of the movie where these characters kind of run around, and he uses the theme again, and he uses the theme at the end. And Daryl Zanuck just flipped out over this theme, <laughs> so he was constantly trying to get Alfred Newman over when he. Daryl Zanuck, I think, started at Fox in the mid-30s and kept trying to get Alfred Newman. And finally, uh, so Alfred Newman did write the logo without the extension, right. Robert. Remember the, the Cinerama extension in, the, in 56. Yeah. So the original one was... That's the original logo. But in 1954... After it would say Fox, it would say Cinemascope, and then the music would go da 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 da, and everyone remembers this from Star Wars because it was out of no one was using it in the '60s because of the way movies were scored in the '60s. But when John Williams used it at the beginning of Star Wars, almost as an underscore cue, mm. because it was it was all about going back to the you know Star Wars. You can make a case that it's a Flash Gordon, you know, adventure 30s swashbuckler movie in space, you know. <laughs> and so John used the 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 um the logo which is in the key of B flat uh you know. This is good and to know for Jeopardy. First, yeah. Yeah. And then the the first chord in the Star Wars theme so it da 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 and then there's the scroll Got a long time in a galaxy, mm-hmm. not four way. And then the first chord for Star Wars is a big B flat, dum, da da dum, da 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 da, like a fanfare. So That's it's, it's amazing. That. And since since then, the fanfare I think has really come into the sort of popular vernacular in a in a different way than it was when it when it was originally done. Well, but yeah, we recorded that that was the first thing that was recorded Robert on the new stage was that and there was all uh, was the logo and there was press there and you made a whole thing out of it. It was like a whole it was on the news that night and it, Why yeah, did we need to record PR it thing. for stereo or for anything or it, just, nah, just just for press? Nah, it 
it, it was press. Yeah, I was going to say it sounds. You, you, it was it was made for press. That that moment. And here's no, David Robert Newman. Did, you guys, Kurt, do it. No, you you. I'm assuming you, you your PR department or you guys staged the the event. And and <laughs> you know and yeah. I mean, there's been millions of recordings of the logo. That music is you know Fox had has and had well had a wonderful music preparation department bar none the, the, that that went to the present day the the joanne k music service which is the uh how it just sort of evolved that's all fox music preparation and they were very good about keeping scores and parts uh where you know the famous story of mgm who were ex the exact opposite all the mgm busby berkeley musicals and Wizard of Oz and gone, all that stuff just went into a garbage dump. Oh, no, uh, at the four hundred five, right where the four hundred five and Sunset Boulevard, they, they there was a dump there. They they just threw it all away. Guess why, Robert? They needed office space. So they so they so because this is all physical storage of, of you know hundreds of movies a year for years and years. I mean, it's it, it is a logistical issue. So. MGM threw it all away. Fox, of course, kept all. Like Disney was really good at that because they they knew about re-releasing their hmm. movies and stuff. But most of the studios just they didn't give a crap. It, it was all one-offs, and they just uh, threw it away. So that's sort of the story. I think there I are could two sit here and salient to David. Yeah. All day. Oh, isn't it great? <laughs> and it's also so I think David, as long as we're digging deep, two things just need to be included in this incredible history. One. Johnny Williams and the B-flat relationship between the end of Alfred's logo and the beginning of Star Wars has a also a Fox-Newman-Williams combo because I inherited the story that the office that I sat in, all, all due deference to Carol Farhat, who had been in the department for many years, said, you know, in your office, not only did Alfred sit here and then Lionel, but there was a piano and Johnny Williams, the studio piano player in that orchestra, yeah. used to come at lunch and play the piano and work and hang out in this office yeah. with Lionel because they were best friends. They're great friends. Well, yeah, I mean, best friends, like friends for the ages. They, they were as close as you can be. And uh, John's office was at the other corner, Robert. So like your office, your office was, I don't know the north, south, east, west part, but w on the other end of the, of the exactly. hallway was, was John's office. So when Lionel was there, that's where John worked. It didn't matter if it was a Fox film. You know, a lot of the Spielberg films were done there. You know, Lionel conducted a bunch, you know, all that stuff. And when Lionel left, you know, then John now goes to Amblin and has an office at Amblin. Mm -hmm. But John always liked being there in the center of the thing. And the other thing that we used to do, Tom, my brother Tom and I, and some of our friends have, like my dad was a really late riser. He, he kept New York theater mm -hmm. hours. But Lionel and John, like, got up at like, five in the morning they were kind of morning people and they worked in the morning and they stopped at six o'clock and they didn't work in the you know what i mean it was like, sort of a different thing but lionel would always hold court like somewhere between like 6 30 a.m to about eight and you're in that office 
there would be a big pile of donuts and coffee <laughs> and all the people that the composers that were working on the lot that wanted to hang where in my dad's day they'd stop at six o'clock go to a bungalow and drink and get drunk and do drugs to stay up all and night. then record sometimes era, at night yeah and then record all night right in this era, the, the hanging was done in the morning. So Tom and I got to like go and, you know, we'd just be sort of like a fly on the wall and, and listen to that. You know, um, I, I saw a lot more of Lionel than my father because Lionel lived a lot. You know, I was just a little shy of 16 when my father died, but Lionel was around a lot. So I, I did see a lot of that. But you're on. not. And John, John, you don't speak as profanely as your uncle Lionel. You're far more yeah, polite I, I, and respectful. Lionel is yeah. legendary. The stories, yeah. there are about at least a dozen jokes I've been told of. Well, did you ever hear the story about Lionel Newman when he was told not to say anything dirty to an orchestra and he got up on the podium and said, I've been told this, and then would say some classic thing? Yeah. 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 And when he he wanted his one Academy Award was for Hello Dolly, the <laughs> the movie that almost bankrupted Fox. Um, and I he I don't think he swore, but he he did something that you would just never. He said, "I'm you know, damn or some kind of very thing close to a you know." You were scared he was going to say something on TV that was that was profane. <laughs> so uh, yeah. David, yeah, uh, good. so many great stories, but I do want to ask you about you and um, <laughs> your interest and and when that started, because you said you didn't go hang out at the office with dad and he passed when you were uh, a teenager. Were you already interested in this world, kind of just hanging around with Lionel and, and watching this kind of stuff? Or w when not, did you get not, the spark? Because like, it's very much in your family, and I'm sure there was a lot of like pressure to, to get into music in some fashion, right? Um, there was no pressure to get into film music. There was, um, even Tom, Tom had wanted to, Thomas, I just call him Tom, but he always wanted to be a composer. I was interested in conducting and the violin. I went to, we both went to university or conservatory-ish university. Uh, I studied violin performance and conducting tom did composition um but none of us were thinking of a film music track mm. R R randy maybe a little more than us but randy was already famous by before he ever started doing film music because his um, pal lenny warnaker and, and, so it, and he conspired to get randy as a recording artist at warner brothers and randy deserved it of course and yeah and so he had a huge career as an artist. Yeah, it, it's you know he still does. Mm -hmm. uh, it, but I think Randy's love, like all of us, it's like a siren song. It, it's so weird. None of us felt any pressure. Uh, my mom, we certainly had pressure to be trained as musicians, mm -hmm. but it 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 really took with the three of us, uh, me, Tom, and my younger sister Maria. So it, it really wasn't like. You know, we were all studying violin when we were seven years old and then piano and then theory and counterpoint really early on. And then we went, you know, we all did the university track. We all did graduate work and all that. But the film part of it, it just happened to each one in a sort of different way. 
for me, I just, I was working in the 70s as a fiddle player, but I was, I wanted to be a conductor, but it, you know, it wasn't really going anywhere. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't see it as, as anything that was going to happen. So I just decided to try film. How did you decide? I mean, I didn't know this, that first of all, were you a studio violinist kind of on call on on some John Williams scores, right? I played on a lot. I played on ET. I played on 1941. I played on Monsignor, which was another John Williams score of that era. Played on a bunch of Jerry Goldsmith thing. The first thing I ever played the session, I've told this story before, was a TV movie that Frank Sinatra starred in that Jerry Goldsmith did called Contract on Cherry Street. Mm-hmm. So it must have been like 1978 or nine. And I walk in, Robert. And there's nine trombones <laughs> and five clarinets and strings and piano and, you know, nine trombones. Now, remember, I'm completely trained. By the time Tom and I are 18 years old, because of the infrastructure of young musicians, especially if you're a string player, you play in all these youth orchestras, but also what are called community orchestras. And community orchestras in a big city are, say an orchestra is like 80 or 90 people, right? So maybe 50 of them are amateurs, but they can play enough to where you can hear it. And then the union will give money to these orchestras so they can hire 30 professionals, which will be like studio players, that come in, do a dress rehearsal in the concert. So the concert and dress rehearsal sound pretty perfect, mm-hmm. you know, pretty damn good. So by the time Tom and I are 17 or 18, we played all the Beethoven symphonies, all the Tchaikovsky symphonies, like we played hundreds of what is called the 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 can yeah, the repertoire of of orchestra. So we're all completely trained in orchestra playing by the time we even enter college. <laughs> this is just it's not just us. It was it's this, it's this whole group of musicians that you you know because you're on this track and it's like being on a soccer track or being <laughs> on whatever it is it's it, yeah you're on this this thing so when i go in and i see this first house like wow this is like what what's he going to do with nitro i can't even think of a canon orchestral piece that has nine trombones i can think of a couple that have like nine trumpets maybe a wagner opera it some has not you know so he does this amazing stuff with it so I, I started to get like interested in wow you can sort of do anything Beautiful. in a film because because you don't if they're one offs in a way you're not you, you it's not going your living isn't going to be made by a bunch of different orchestras or organizations playing this piece you're writing this piece for this thing this he's using all this jazzy like triadic chords and he's got dick nash on the top doing you know and he's using it for jazz and then noir and then you know it was uh it, so i had about 10 years of like goldsmith john williams were the top but also like pat williams mm. and marty uh what the guy at cbs um I, i'm forgetting a lot of that and even like dominic frontier i yeah. don't know if you remember him yeah. robert at all um these guys were a lot of television and a lot of it was horrible. Don't get me wrong. Like 80% of it is terrible, but 20% of it is. And of course you have to be a really good sight reader 
but by the time Tom and I, you know, by the time we're 18, we can read anything. Fly shit, as and they say. We, uh, it, it's like sight reading is a, is a portion of just being really good at sight reading, understanding rhythmic patterns that you've seen over. The, it's the rhythm part that's the hardest thing in, in sight reading. But also knowing how to fake in a way and not get lost. So, like, it, 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 you, you kind of, some things you might not get the first time you play through it. That's why when, you know, Robert, when we read down a cue, it, it gets better the second and third mm-hmm. time because you have a second time. But the first time, generally not anyone is so lost that you have to stop, right? It, generally, the cue goes from the beginning to the end. And if, if this part is, you know, screwy, no one is saying, stop, you know, we have to stop and start over again. It, it doesn't professionally it doesn't it doesn't work that way you know so um you you learn all this i learned all this stuff before i got so i was able to listen a lot i I wasn't so uncomfortable with the with the like the first cue in um et was that flying cue where where the violins you're way up and it's going dun, 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 one two three one two one two three dun 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 it's like a really difficult cue to play but it's kind of like stravinsky-ish and stuff so yeah you might have a little difficulty are you on it around are you playing but you're never lost yeah no i'm sitting in the first violins probably on the last stand i'm mostly in the last you know it's a wow would john williams nod to you and say hey welcome Eh, eh, ladies eh, and gentlemen in our audience uh, tonight no no oh no 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 no, nothing. No, you just, uh, th- th- there were enough pissed off. P- it, it, <laughs> it, it, freelancing, as you know, freelancing is a, is a weird, there's no audition process. It's, it's a, it's a, you know, for an orchestra, you have to audition. This is just, it's a weird thing. It's fine. Yeah. Once you sit down and play and you're, Word you, of you know, you, you, you have stand part. Well, you also have stand partners when you play a string instrument. So they, they can hear you play it. it, it, it if you can't cut it, you're not going to, you're you're not allowed anyway it and most film music isn't that hard to play just once in a while it's you know it it, it it's hard. there must have been a migration but, from you being this fiddle yeah. player to what was the moment because i never knew any of this david as long as we've known each other yeah. i didn't know this and i also am really deeply respectful of what you brought to film composing which a lot of film composers don't know you're 10 years you said of playing on those dates but prior to that you also played in orchestras and you understood what orchestras did and you knew the canon so many film composers how many people say wow man you know well i made two records as a rock guitar player what do you think about me doing film music and i'm sort of stumped and they also get hired and they kind of wing it but i don't know the story of what was the event that migrated you it wasn't an Did somebody event. call just, and say write a film score for me? It I had a I had a guy who was a friend who was a composer and I started working initially with a partner which broke up very fast like those things tend to do. But I did a couple of um like remember there used to be I, I like industrial films and little uh like I did a I I did a Mondale when Mondale was right. running, you know, we, we did a little thing and i and i i did a demo that was like a you know an analog demo it was not it was like with you know all my friends you know we i we wrote a piece 
about a 10-minute orchestra piece, and then we all, you know, I, I, I forget, it. probably everybody did it for free or whatever. Yeah. And and then my Chris and I, my wife and I, who's also a violinist, you know, we probably overdubbed the violin part fifteen times, and you know, we did that sort of thing. Right. It was it was a gradual thing for me. I I was not again, I had no experience uh, composing except when you're trained, you're trained in a discipline called counterpoint, where uh, and 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 ear training, ear training, you have to take dictation and write down what you hear. But counterpoint, you have to write um, a, a canon, an invention, or like the exposition of a fugue or whatever. They're they're just they're things that you have to learn how to do to pass out of the course. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I couldn't. It it anybody trained in music that has the cojones to do it can write music. It, I mean, you can write music down. It's just is it any yeah is it any good? You know. So it took me from about. 81 to about 86 to really figure that this was a viable thing for me to do. So I sort of on and off worked less and less after I got married in 82. Maybe I, I you know, I did the Academy Award like seven or eight years in a row. Oh, one time I, this is great. <laughs> one time I did the Academy Awards. You, you um, mean as musical director? And, yeah. No, is no, just playing. Oh, just playing. Okay. But yeah, it it was the best job there was for a week of work. It was like eight thousand nice. dollars. It was like it was like a gold. It was like a gold mine. But one year, you wear headphones, obviously. And one year, they had the entire studio feed accidentally in our headphones, so you could hear the director call out cues, <laughs> and you have never in your life heard anything so profane. I mean, talk about Lionel, Robert. <laughs> this was like Lionel on steroids. And then, and then, one year Lionel did oh, it. Oh, no. And it was, it was the first year off-site. It was at Ocean right. Way, remember? Ocean, well, it's still there. And we were all at Ocean Way, but they had never done a remote right. before. And it was, it was like, it was hairy. And jo Joanne was right next to Lionel. Because they never knew what was going to happen, and and it wasn't all worked out yeah. yet, d doing remotes and stuff. And it was, it was, it was right. Hairy. They call out so the movie, funny, and though. Joanne has to find the chart yeah. right away, or or well, tell no, somebody they, what they. It's like two pages, and they have like three bars of each right, movie, right, so right. you you can hear. It's not that isn't the worst part of it. The 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 part of it is like when you play what obviously you know when they announce a winner you're going to play but the rest of it <laughs> you you know you're just sitting there waiting and and something weird ha you know what i mean so, love it anyway that, that's just an aside i never thought so, about but, that but part that, of it. that thing about the directors in television they are insane those people in live television I mean that must be the most pressure there is can you imagine their that. their blood no. pressure level by the yeah. end of the night but but they're 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 using this incredibly I don't know how to say it but profane humor to get to get through it. They are making all kinds of comments that never in a million years would they want anyone to hear. We're what's not regulated by the FCC, David. So if you want, no, no, I'm not going to say. <laughs> well, what's interesting <laughs> is that you're. It just was. It was fantastic. In some ways, <laughs> what I really love about all of this, and you also have just reminded me how and where we met, which was not at Fox. 
it was prior to that's right pri- that's right i was playing fiddle and also that's you, right you were you arranged bruce willis you arranged for bruce yeah. a bruce willis record on the board producing you compl- well i i i arranged some strings. and parts, i just you know thought yeah. wait a minute here's a human being that can do things i couldn't do i was very musical but i couldn't write a string chart for a pop record and you did this beautiful job all hail john what year do you remember do you remember what year that i can tell you it was 86 and john vigran was my engineer that's right that was when i'd started working that's right because i knew vigran because he did some he'd worked with tom a lot Mm. my brother uh, thomas and um and he had done a couple films for me too and you wrote a chart for under the boardwalk which then went number one in england um it was a beautiful string part but what's interesting to me hearing all of this and also for our listeners to hear how much work and hours you know that ten thousand hours david brings to his job what's curious is that in some ways all of it adds up to you coming around to a new portion of your work which is conducting yeah live film music which i've seen you do and after i don't know how many movies you've done you're now i'd like to know if that was if that's a joyful experience to be on the stage at the hollywood bowl or wherever these concerts are conducting and also how it ties to west side story because i saw you perform west side story how did the what yeah, live the, film music start to become such a major part of what you did? Yeah. Um, I don't want to go into too long a story, but do you met, were you, were you at Fox at 80? When did you go to Fox? 94. Okay. So at 80, in, in 1988, 89, around that time, I was doing the composer's lab at Sundance. Mm-hmm. You must've gone yeah. to that at some point in your mm-hmm. career. Yeah. And, we started a, a thing, uh, the film, a film music preservation hmm. program, because the guy Tom Wilhite, who ran it, who was my friend from Disney, um, and his partner were they, they were big film music fans, hmm. and we started doing this these clip shows. They weren't full movies, but we would do like the main title of Spartacus, and then we like Mancini would come and do the beginning of of um what that, what's that movie the um. Orson Welles movie, um, you know, where he's the... the Third um, Man or... Uh, no, 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 it's... Uh, I always forget this. Um, it's that big, long shot at the beginning where there's a bomb in the car and it blows up at the end of the bomb. At the bomb. Anyway, we got all these, you know, Delarue came and Marvin Hamlish. So we, we would do like a big show where they'd all do their own music, but with a film clip. <laughs> but, it was on a, but, but it was on a projector... Which I remember when you guys did the Fox show at um, the bowl with Jerry. I mean, the Jerry show. It wasn't Jerry. It was with Macherry. That was on film, Mm -hmm. right? When you guys did that? Right. And so if you stopped in the middle with the film, you had to take the film off, hand crank it back. There was no rehearsal. And I remember you guys went way over time because... Of the technical logistics. Now it's like, now I, now when I do this, I have an iPad 
I can go absolutely anywhere that I want in the film and say, bar, blah, 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 let's go. I have complete control of the rehearsal process. And clicks so, also w- come up? W- clicks, spring, streamers, anything you want. You, the, it's, it's all clicked because it's the only way to do the streamers. You can use them or not use them. So you, you sometimes use them, you sometimes don't use them. You know, it, it's whatever you need. And it depends on the conductor. Some conductors don't want to use it. Uh, for me, I'm interested in it being in sync. So <laughs> like I did, I did, um, uh, singing in the rain and it's this really fast dancing and, and it's been done for years without clicks, but I just, I insisted on how it's just, there's just no way to do that perfectly without doing it with a click track. And so we did it at the bowl and it sounded great. You know, the guys, the guys in LA really know how to, how to play that stuff. But yeah, that, um, it, it, little by little, that's become more and more. That guy, Mao Cherry, that did the bowl for my, from early on for about 20 years, he was really into this. So a lot of this development was because of him. Hmm. Simply because he was here in LA mm-hmm. at the bowl with a, with a, a job and they had some money. They, they, the LA Phil's always had money because of the Hollywood bowl and they developed this into this really good thing. I took over. His job, uh, not his job, but I took over the movie night, I think in 2007. Mm. So seven, eight, nine, ten, and 11, we did, they were all clip shows, meaning it was a, something from this film, something from this film. But in 2011, we did West Side Story as a lot, as a full film. Now, there have been people that have been doing full films, you know, Psycho and, and, but this, this was, I think, a turning point because, West Side Story was what's called, it was, they had one music stem, which had the orchestra, the vocals, and, you know, on it. And we didn't, we wanted the vocals from the film, but we didn't want the orchestra. Mm. So there was no way to do it until this, these companies figured out using a a computer process how to get rid of the orchestra. Mm. So finally, when they do that, so now it means you can do any film now, even a, a, a mono film. Uh, 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 because a, a, a monofilm, like say, like Casablanca, everything's on one stem, right. the dialogue and everything. So the only way to do that, um, uh, they used to do this thing called dip and dive, and they would just, you know, when there was no dialogue, they just turn the sound down and up. But now you can, you know, you can do mm. all this. But as I said in my twenties, I was really into conducting, and I spent nine to ten hours a week studying with this one guy who nobody friggin knew who he was but he was a genius as far as i was concerned and i learned all this stuff that is very 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 difficult to learn in my opinion i was interested in an orchestra following my beat so mostly when you see people conducting you'll see the orchestra behind the i've beat. never understood that <laughs> Um, it's I'm not here because yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it's because it's because of the nature of a hundred people um, culturally in their little club having to play together. So you just minutely wait because you don't really trust the beat enough. You, so you wait for everybody to 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 to, to play. Um, so I would have preferred it be like a band where the drummer or the kick drummer 
is it. That's the, that's the master tempo. So I was obsessed with this. So the only conductor I saw that was doing this was Tuscanini, which a lot of people would look at and say, he's not doing anything. He's just beating time. But I could see, because I'm experienced with it, how they are playing on his beat. It's almost like as if he went one, two, three, four, and stopped moving, that the orchestra would stop. Mm. Now, you know, Robert, that a lot of time the conductor stops, the orchestra goes on playing for three bars because they're not they're they're not watching now this is degrees and nuanced and everything but i finally and like i said in my 28 29 i sort of gave up on conducting and i thought okay i'm gonna write film music and i all my energy went to there but now i start conducting in 2000 you know seven and i'm doing okay it's you know whatever you know but when i start like doing it like 2011 2012 like 10 or 11 times a year right. with a live so I'm audience. Going, I'm going, to, it's not the audience, it's the orchestras. Mm. So I'm going to these great orchestras. I'm going to Boston and Philadelphia and Cleveland and like, you know, and in England and, and you know, these are like the best orchestras in the world. And then all this training I had started to kick in for me again. So, um, I things that I had not even thought about since I was in my twenties. I started to think about again. Uh, it, it's too nuanced to go into de- detail, but and and again, it's not something that you can do perfectly. So I, I always feel like the metaphor for a conductor is like flying. I've never flown a plane, but my understanding is when you're flying a plane. You're you're always a little bit off course. You drift off, you get back. You drift off, you get back. You drift off, you get back. And then as you come in for a landing, you got to be right perfect. <laughs> you can't land, screw it up, right. right? So now when you're doing films, you've got these streamers, right? So you might have like 30 bars that don't it doesn't matter, but you got to be at the streamer at bar 30, right. right? So we have these things that are called flutters or punches. So you put them on whatever bars it's in your score. And they're like navigations. You can see, yeah, I'm a little slow. I'm a little fast. I'm, you know, and, and conducting is like you're always trying to get back. So the other metaphor would be, Robert, like in a ba- it's it's the feel of it. How does it, how is the groove? There is so much groove in orchestra music Mm. that no one ever talks about when you're conducting. If you, like, say, if it's a Mozart symphony or a Beethoven symphony, it's, it's the way the pulse is designed. If you can get the orchestra into that groove, everything falls into place. It all blends it feels like people start like mm-hmm. wanting to move in their seats. So much orchestra music is 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 rhythmic in nature, uh, like like this, you know. So this is what I was interested in. This is what I learned a method of doing. However imperfect I am in doing it, I have had moments where it has just been like a dream. Mm. Like, this is what it, this is for me. 
This is not for everybody. This is what it feels like when everything lines up, the groove is right. Um, you know, and in canon music, the pulse is really important. In film music, it's like 95% of it is orchestra groove. Hmm. Whatever it is, if it's comedy, noir, it, 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 you know, now you can, you, you do groove a lot with, with band instruments and, and stuff, but still a lot of, when you have an orchestra, even playing with a band groove, like a pulsing bass line, if anyone in the orchestra is moving and they're not moving in a way that's appropriate with the bass line, it just feels bad. It's like the drummer dragging or, you know, in a band, whoever is dragging, if the bass player is dragging, Everyone has to go with them. You you can't not be together. You have to be together. But it screws up everything. And when it gets right, it just it's like it's like the easiest. You're in thing. the zone. You relax. You're in the zone. You're relaxed. You're not thinking about it. You you've rehearsed it, and it just goes. Yeah. So my best experience with that, and then I'll shut up about mm. it, is. In nineteen seven, uh, in two thousand seventeen, I did all four Star Wars movies that are being done live now, which is the first three, and the last, and the last one in a month with the New York Philharmonic, who I love, right? Wow! So I had about thirty services in a month. So the more that I did this, the more they got used to me, the better this got. So I could rehearse like the the Return of the Jedi. I think has one hundred and twenty minutes of music. <sighs> So we have like two rehearsals. So it's about five hours of rehearsal for two hours of music. You can't rehearse that. You, 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 so this is the other thing with conducting is conducting is a nonverbal quote unquote art mm -hmm. form. You can't stop in a performance and say, Hey, that's not, you know, that's loud. Uh, -uh. It, 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 you, you, you know, and you're not, it's a third person thing. Conducting, you're not playing anything. You're moving your body around. Right. So it's a very nuanced, weird thing. But the more I did it, the, so to answer this question in a long way, that is my the favorite thing about it is that nice. I'm not. I get very nervous. I get very nervous. I love the audience because once it gets going, I find applause mildly fascist if that makes sense i'll go it's with like, that I, 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 there's something weird about though you know it's nice to be applauded but it's not it's a weird what i like is the communal everyone there stuffed you know in the, the least covid <laughs> way <laughs> right. stuffed together watching this movie that they're so happy to be able to watch with other people and and be i do love that mm. I, I get horribly nervous before I step out on stage. Once I'm on stage, I'm fine. So if it wasn't for the traveling and the hanging around, it would be a lot easier uh, for me. But I that's can, sort of my take. On I can that. feel the passion you have for this, for conducting Ditto. so much through your storytelling of of your experiences doing that. It's it's very clear that this is. And was your favorite thing to start. And it's so cool that you were able to finally get back into doing what you originally wanted to. Um, aside from the fact that you scored a bunch of great movies and your scores are fantastic. Well, yeah. we, we're, we, really quick, we're going to take a break. Um, and then when we come back, we're going to ask you 
Uh, there's so much to talk about, and David, I could seriously listen to a seven-hour episode of David telling <laughs> these stories, but stick around more with David Newman when we return. Hey, it's Matt Schrader here. If you like Score the Podcast, you're going to want to check out More Score, our new Patreon show for Score superfans. What's Patreon? Well, it's a website and an app that lets fans crowdfund the type of extra content you want. And now, More Score has it all on video. You can listen or watch right on the Patreon app. More Score already has the life stories of people you know, like Kenny and Robert from Score the Podcast, as well as bonus features, hangouts, and yes, original interviews, like Carlos Rafael Rivera from The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Did you know he had to throw out his score and start fresh? More Score gives you insight into the film score world, and it's a beautiful addition to those of you who just can't wait for another episode of Score the Podcast. Best of all, more score is year round. No more off season. Go to patreon.com slash more score or download the Patreon app and search more score. Hi, this is Ludwig Gorenson. You're listening to score the podcast. And now let's go back to the show. Welcome back to Score the Podcast, presented by Spitfire Audio. We're here with David Newman, learning so much about conducting, about your history, about your family's history. Um, Robert asked you a little bit about West Side Story, and I know that it's probably under lock and key, so we can't get into too many details about the film. But I did want to ask you um, about working with Spielberg. I mean, you were on recording sessions with E.T., and you know, you've been in the presence of Steven and worked with him in different ways, but now you're working side by side with him as the, the con- composer, arranger of the, this new film. What was that like for you to, to be in well, that role? Let me, let me, to be clear, I, I, I didn't do any compo, I did a little bit of arranging. Uh, th- it, quite frankly, in West Side Story, 95% of the music are songs and dances. There is a little bit of interstitial music, but it's all based on um, the the the, the show. It's, it's using a little. Uh, yeah, well, well, stuff like uh, it's it's more towards the end of the movie after Tony after they're kill after uh, Bernardo and Riff are killed. There are a, l- a few little. Things of something. There, there, there's another, yeah. There's another song that does have an arrangement, but mainly, this is this was my role in West Side Story. I did a lot of the. Actually, I'm probably not supposed to say that. Dude, I did not conduct this. Dudamel corrected Gustavo. Yep. That's known. I sup- I supervised it. Uh, I was on, I got on this, uh, to back up 2011, remember I said- That's I what I was West wondering about, as we mentioned. Right, so, How did that tie okay, so in, the Leonard, fact that you- Okay, it it did, because um, the Bernstein office, it's the LBO, the Leonard Bernstein office, they're very proactive with Leonard Bernstein's music in the classical world, and they are the ones that produced or helped- produce this movie west side story we also did on the waterfront as well um which is another story but um they were very much involved in the movie they they it's no secret that they hated the 1961 version the robert weiss i never knew side story oh they detested it 
they 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 would have liked West Side Story. That's you know uh, Bernstein, Sondheim, Arthur Lawrence, and Jerome Robbins. Though Jerome Robbins was a co-director, so I guess he couldn't really say that. But I think those guys would have preferred that it was a black and white, sweaty mono movie mm. in a way. I mean, not mono because of the voice, but you know what I mean—a claustrophobic, black and white, sweaty, like it like is on, on the stage, waterfront uh, originally. A uh, like on the waterfront. Uh, of course, it starts off like the sound of music, <laughs> right? Or is going is going to start off a couple of years later, you know, with that big panning shot into the into the thing. You know, most of our uh, thoughts about West Side Story from the movie, obviously, not from most. More people have seen the movie. Anyway, be that as it may, we did the movie. It was very popular, and I got friendly with the office because i had to work so closely with them and then i worked with them on on the waterfront and everything so when the movie came john was supposed to do it though i don't i never saw i i you know i don't know what there, there really was nothing to do in the movie but kind of oversee it and make sure it didn't go off the mm -hmm. rails which is sort of my was my job so john uh, asked me if i would sort of take over for what he was quote unquote gonna do, whether that was real or not. Um, and so that's what I ended up doing. So I ended up sort of overseeing the music part. I did a little arranging, I did a little orchestrating, but it was kind of a big group effort. Mm. Um, there was a vocal person, there was a music supervisor, there was me, there was Spielberg. Uh, it was a little chaotic at times, but it turned out great, I can say. Mm. It is it is it is a wonderful take on West Side Story. It's very young. I don't know, you probably I don't know if you've seen yeah, the trailer. Yeah, at the Oscars, they're they very they're very young. Mm. And I think that's it it's it's more akin to the Romeo and Juliet a modern sort of Romeo and Juliet, which is really the way it was designed in the first place. Um the singing ended up being very good. Um, some really, really good stuff, but it's really characterful and it's lovely. It's a lovely movie. It was very difficult and we got, you know, blocked, uh, blocked, cock blocked, you know, by yep. COVID. We weren't quite done yet. Right. Like we were, we were three days for, we were going to go to New York in March <laughs> and, um, I knew we weren't, Robert. It was so nuts. We were at Fox talking, and they're all planning. We're going to go to New York, and we all knew. We're not, you know. So we were supposed to be in March 23rd, 2020, Oof. in New York recording. So it shut down. A week what, before. Five days. Yeah. But yeah I, and, and if we had gone, we would have just gotten stuck in New York. It, it was it, So the, the whole thing shut down. Um, we, we ended up then going back and recording – the prologue, which we hadn't done yet. That's what was left out. And, and other little mm -hmm. things, which we did at Fox and, um, and finished up. And then they dubbed the movie, which they were able to do because it's not a million people. Yeah. And, um, and we just finished doing the soundtrack, which I must say sounds amazing. And it wasn't easy to do. It, it's, it's, it's some of the most difficult music to sing. Talk about Robert. You know, we're talking about groove and pocket and vocal quality and color and that that, that the music in West Side Story, it, it's like it it 
straddles opera and um and vaudeville and it it, it is extremely difficult and mambo thing to it everything latin all kinds of that latin music that was so popular in the late 50s and in, um, in new york um so it all, all that it was very it was a very tricky thing to do but um it turned out it turned out i think great i don't know how it's going to be i'm sure it's going to be huge and you just have reminded me uh, yeah, i'm know. going to it, indulge in asking a very high tech musical question about west side story that i realized here is someone who can enlighten me i've always been curious about the use of the tritone in west side story yeah. and how important it is it's both yeah. for tension with the you know, jets and it's for romance with maria maria yeah, it's all but then i started to realize it's also in on the waterfront how it's almost like bernstein rehearses using that a little earlier than west side story but what has always been clear to me is that it, they're coming out of the bebop era where charlie yeah. parker is using it's, the tritone it's a salt peanuts it's salt peanuts yeah so yeah. Did you did you hear my question? Here's my question. It's simply this: Did I, Ber, did you realize that on the waterfront and West Side Story had yeah. some confluence, regardless of the bebop influence, by the same composer using this interval that was kind of signature of that era? Yeah the the sharp four or or. Uh, which which they generally move down to the fourth or the flat third they're they're kind of blues new york broadway thing also they call it a chauffeur is that am i pronouncing that right the jewish call to, to yeah. worship is an aug one of the intervals in that um is a that that's i think in a way what bernstein was never thinking. thought that um yeah the, well they the i didn't either but the off that's what they call it in the in, i always thought of office. it also so, as a flat five not a sharp four yeah yeah but uh i just or a sharp or a sharp 11 i it it, it it's a it you know it's a it's a it's an interval it the devil's interval. It, it's an interval he liked it, yeah it's a it's the middle of the of the 12 notes of the, of the scale it's an interval that was shunned in 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 uh, you know, medieval and 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 Renaissance and the classical era, and a little bit less in Romanticism, and then started to be used a lot, but definitely in Tin Pan Alley and um, vaudeville and uh, blues, and you know Gershwin uses it all the time in the flat third, you know, yeah, um, and and you know, let's see, street scene, da, 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 da. they use the flat third a lot. Oh, that's the flat so Gershwin sort of the same thing. right? That yeah. Written before the the street scenes written before uh, Porgy and Bess actually, but I don't know all that stuff. All that stuff is in the air in New York in the in the thirties. You know, even even Copeland wrote for your any of your viewers. I think it's his his piano concerto, nineteen twenty seven. It's the only one he wrote. Is a a complete jazzy. It's fantastic. You guys should all go out and check that out. The Copeland piano. It's my next, I think it's nineteen twenty-seven. My next favorite. It's great. Um, Dave, can you tell us um, about being in the scoring stage with Spielberg? Is he is he yeah. pretty vocal in there? Does he sit back? Like what? Oh, what's yeah. the vibe like yeah, with Spielberg? He he films. He likes to film stuff. 
So a lot of a lot of his views of stuff is is, is behind a camera, even even when we're doing stuff. But um, and he knows when to talk and he knows when to not talk. He knows when to let things get worked out and he knows when to, uh, you know, and let's face it, Spielberg movies are the best dub movies there are. You know, we talk about dubbing, Robert, where the final mix, the way Spielberg uses music in his film, it, it's just, it's unparalleled. It's just brilliant. It's un, in my opinion, it, 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 he allows the music. He also to has do a pretty good composer. Designed, right? So right. it's, it's valuable. Yeah. But it's also it's a it's a sensibility. When you he, say he's filming, he know- like he's he's got his camera out on the yeah. stage, just filming yeah. constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he likes to he likes to look at. I think I mean, look, I I this is my opinion. I don't. He didn't. He doesn't say this to me. But a lot of a lot of it, he's filming. I wonder if it's for his own personal diary. No, it is, or it is, or EPK. or you know, yeah, yeah, for both. I think I can't wait for the movie. I literally can't wait. I'm yeah. so excited. I'm so excited to hear it. And, and I don't know if I'll hear it in it's, a big theater and hear how it's mixed. When just it's a big December 26th. It's a big, huge widescreen movie. It is gorgeous looking. I, I It's gorgeous. And it's not like, it's not, it doesn't look like I, I'm not a great visual person, but it's not like what you would think it would look like. It's, it's, it's pretty period. Anyway, you'll, you, you probably Can't saw wait. the trailer. I do know. It. It's funny when you said the Romeo and Juliet. Of course, we know that. But I've always loved the story, whether it's true or not, or is mythic, that Jerome, Arthur Lawrence, Stephen Sondheim, and Leonard were Einstein. all at the Beverly Hills Hotel around the pool talking about Romeo and Juliet and could they do something about it? And someone in that mentioned the West side of Manhattan and the gang fights between recent Puerto Rican immigrants and the whites who felt they wanted the turf. And there was this moment of, Hey, wait a minute. You know, we could you know, put Romeo and Juliet in the middle of that. Is that this, true? They, yeah, well, originally it was called East Side Story, and it was a Jewish gang versus, I think, an Irish Amazing. gang, and and they and they didn't and it didn't really resonate. And I think, uh, you know, I, I I don't know the story. I'm sure it's easy to Google yep. the story out there, but it ended up, like you said, it ended up being more of an ethnic uh, story than than the than but it was i know it was it was originally called east side story do you think that this <laughs> of all the experiences that you've described for us in this wonderful conversation do you feel that the next item unless you know it on your agenda veers more towards of your various skill sets conducting composing arranging performing do you feel that film composing is going to be just part of the mix where what's next for david newman i i i try not to plan i'd like to do more film composing i have a i'm working so i have a i have a show but um great uh you know the conducting's been um you know off for the the year but i'm supposed to do I'm supposed to do Princess Bride at the Hollywood Bowl at the end of July. I'll be there. Then, I can't wait. Uh, if we if if we do it, and then uh, 
I have several other things booked. Uh, um, a couple of uh, Christmas Home Alone. Nice, John Williams. That's My that's favorite. one of the ones I I premiered that in uh, I think 2012 in Cleveland in a horrible. That sounds like a bad storm, movie so. right there. But um, I'm, I want to ask now, you. But COVID COVID aside, um, where do you see the future of these film music concerts? Because in the 2000s you were like starting something this this was it's it's all over the world now and they're doing them and and different philharmonics and this is putting a lot of people to work doing these sorts of things and it's letting young people experience orchestras in conjunction with their favorite films but as somebody who does this and was kind of leading the charge early on where do you think these live concerts are headed is this something that's going to be as prominent as regular concerts in the future do you think I don't, I really don't know how to answer that. I can't believe that it's taken off the way that it has, though I shouldn't be surprised. Uh, the way this stuff works, you have to convince the musicians of these orchestras. That the, the, There's a hierarchy of orchestras around the world. Not, not to get into details, but just imagine, you know, they're the A-list, the B-list, yeah. the C-list, right? You have to convince the musicians, but you also have to convince the artistic staff, the CEO, the 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 head of artistic administration. There, there, there's also a, an administrative hierarchy that you have to convince. And I think to a certain extent, we've been able to convince the musicians of the efficacy. Uh, 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 in other words, film music historically has been so denigrated, but it's been denigrated by people that don't even know what they're talking about. They don't, they haven't listened to it. They haven't studied it. And a lot of that isn't their fault. It's so difficult to get your hands on the material because it's not owned by a publishing company. It's owned by a film studio. What do they care about? You know, they don't know where it is. They don't even know what the hell the music prep department half the time is doing, you know? So there's that. So I, I, I get that. But now, let me give you an example. So let's say I'm with the New York Philharmonic, right? And we're doing E.T. And, you know, they know the tune from E.T. They've played it with John a million times, the, the flying theme and all that stuff, right? But now we're playing the whole film, right? So we start off, right? We go. So there's a particular cue where the mother is reading the Drew Barrymore character, Peter Pan, mm -hmm. right? She's And the E.T. and Elliot, the little kid, they're in a closet hiding from the mom. They're all they're always hiding from the adults. They don't ever the kids don't ever want the adults to see the ET because who knows what the adults are going to do. So they're watching her read to Tinkerbell, right? And the harp is doing this beautiful harp thing, which you may remember. That goes da dee da 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 dum, and then it trills like brrr, which is this thing called bisbillando on the harp, and it, it occurs what. Wait, that's the fluttering of Tinkerbell's wings. That's the purr of the wings. And they start talking about clapping. Now that you've heard this theme before once with Elliot and the and the and the ET, but now you're hearing it the ET and Elliot watching the mother mother the kid, right? And there's another theme that you hear in the beginning of the movie which I would call like a a, a kind of 
a little bit of a menacing theme that's about the adults that goes dun da 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 which is at the beginning of the movie, right? So back to this scene. They're doing this, clapping for Tinkerbell, and the camera starts moving out, right? And this little bass note comes in, and you see a van, and you hear voices in the van, and you hear adults talking in the van. And this one flute plays that motive really low in its register. It goes dum da dum bum while the harp is still going. Now that is just brilliant. Now you're never gonna know what that is until it, it had to be set up from the beginning. And you have you know, and so okay, you're doing perform three or four performances, right? It might not like kick in for a few, right? But you start to, they start to hear what's going on. They can hear the dialogue. They can't really see the film, but they all know the film. And this starts, oh, that's what film composing is. It's not, film composing isn't writing concert music. It's film composing. It's its own thing. It deserves to be studied, written about. It deserves in, in, in like Robert, you said, in depth, not just the periphery of, this is a nice tune in this. How is, what is going on with this? How is he doing this, you know? And I'll give you one more example from E.T. We get the video for these, um, to, to practice, the conductors, with everything separated. So you can mute the music. Mm. So you practice without the music on. So you make sure, you know, what am, am I going too fast here? Am I going too, right? Okay. So turn off the music at the beginning of E.T. And you listen to the, the effects. to. And there's like a, 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 you know, a wolf howling and, the, you know, and there are these little creatures sneaking around and it seems kind of weird, you know, it's like, what's going on? You know, it's eerie, right? Then you put the music in and it's like religious. It's like they're botanists. <laughs> they're not going to, they're not there to disturb anything. They're the most benevolent creatures there are. That's so... It's very hard to tell in film music what's going on if you can't take away the music. This is another problem studying film music. You have to be able to take it away, look at it. You know, yeah, you could mute it, but you then you can't hear what the composer's hearing or what you know. And yeah, the, the filmmaker when there's no music will fill it up more, will will adjust. But there's a reason there's music in movies, and I. This is what's great about it, is as these orchestras hear it over and over, oh, you know, it sells tickets for sure. This is this is why the art, the administrators do it, right? The musicians, what are they? They're not. That's not their focus, really. Their focus is to give the best performance that they can. But you have to convince both of them that this is worthwhile. So my feeling is, if they get to the point where instead of doing Star Wars or Jurassic Park or, you know, these big, huge, popular movies, that they could do a movie like on the, like we did On the Waterfront or Streetcar Named Desire or, or a, a, a myriad of movies that have great scores but are not blockbuster movies where you actually might have to do a little bit of marketing and, and bring your audience along with you over a long period of time, which is the way that these organizations work. If you, if you have a project, you don't expect it to just immediately be this big hit. You bring it 
slowly along, kind of what um, Solonen did with the um, L.A. Phil with all their new music mm. concerts. Little by little, over 20, 20 years, he brought it from two or 300 people at a concert to Disney Hall, where it's 1,500 people at these wacky new music concerts that are no one knows has ever heard any of the music. It's all nuts and insane. And and little by little, they develop. I hope they do this. And and, and I would love it if they would do original content or, or, you know, short form content or, you know, but they have to be convinced that this is reasonable to do. Yeah. Well, that, so that's the, sort of a long answer. For me. You also have to introduce the audience to what it is, because if you're not using those big properties and those big films that are familiar, then the excitement isn't really but, there. But then once you get them drawn in, then it's like, oh, well, what yeah. movie's playing now? It, it doesn't matter it, what it is. I think you it, also need David not- Newman to shine a light, literally shine a light on the intricacy and brilliance. I mean, everybody who's listening to this and certainly the people here that are doing this conversation with you all love and appreciate and learn from exactly what you're talking about, which is film composers are this unique little tribe of artists and thinkers and conceptualists that are just, I have so much appreciation for the art of film composing, but also to have you guide us today is really a treat. It's a real gift. And even now I just want to go back and watch E.T. And I want to see that scene. And I want to think about the music in a way, because we all know, and it's a whole other podcast, the visual image and the narrative so overwhelm the music that you're suddenly going, wow, what's going to happen right now to Drew Barrymore? And what's going to happen to Elliot? And, and oh no, is this, uh, you know, what's happening in the story and and the music's just i always felt well the music seems in, inevitable you. and that story you were telling about zanuck being blown away it's like the the idea that that didn't exist at one point and then it was introduced and it's like well of course this is how it's supposed to be it's it's so obvious now that a film without music is not it's not what it's like it's a day to without be. sunshine yeah it really is it's it's I've been really fascinated um, recently with the 30s and it, obviously because my that's the era of my father when he came and how they developed. You should w- watch some 30 uh, uh, 30s movie or 31, 32, 33. It's just wacky. Uh, they're the the use of music. You can see them struggling. Oh, I love that. With how to how to how, how is to there one it. particular and one event, you want to leave it, us with as a tip? It, it, they're they're. There's there's a movie that my father did called um, Rain. It's with um, what's her face, the famous actress, uh, mommy dearest, uh, Joan Crawford. Mm. It's an early Joan Crawford film, and the music is just basically source music from her. They're stuck on an island, and she's kind of a prostitute, and then there's a a, 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 a preacher that's obsessed with her, and it's a it's a very noirish movie, but. It's just so weird the way the music is used. But there are other ones like like Street Scene where it's just like an overture, no music for an hour, and then some music, and then no music for an hour, and then a little mu- bit of music. <laughs> um, it's just... It's just they're they're trying to figure but it then, out. But let, the, 
but 1939 is Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind and, uh, you know, and I, I've been reading, I, I just read the Steve Smith, Bernard Herman book, mm. and I'm in the middle of the Max Steiner book, which just mm. came out. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of information about how this all developed. Uh, Steiner was a, the pioneer, probably him and my father, but Steiner really a little bit before my father King um, Kong. you can see how this how this all yeah, yeah but also he did a he did a 31 movie i forget the name of it where it's all through composed um but you can see them struggling a couple movies they get to write original music and then it's a bunch of stuff you know they just they have to music direct and and, and do well so we are getting been- schooled <clears throat> I know. I was just going to say we we need to do a round two of this, David, and hopefully next time in person. Really, David, the All source right. of unbelievable information. We are at the school of Professor David Noman today, and I think that we have all just benefited so hugely. It really, and I was just I, I was planning to talk about Alvin and the Chipmunks, the Squeakwool. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Ice Age, we did so many together, but uh, yeah. this was, to yeah. me, just incredible deep background on the art of film music, which is yeah. such a gift. David, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, a reminder to our listeners, uh, you can follow us. There's a number of ways. Twitter, at Score the Podcast. Instagram, at Score Movie. Facebook, Score a Film Music Documentary. Don't forget to subscribe on Patreon to our new show, More Score. It's year-round, plenty of interviews and uh, all the extra bonus stuff that you don't get here on the show. Thanks again to our sponsor, Spitfire Audio. Stick around after the show today. We're going to play you a clip of a uh, demo queue of some of the different packages they offer as well. And um, we will be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. Robert, take it away. I was just going to say, I, I'm going to have to sort of spend the next little while this morning just kind of floating on this conversation, David. It's just... There's so much history in what you've shared today, and it's a real pleasure to just reconnect with you. Me too, Robert. I just, I, I just want to say, also, I'll never forget what you did for that stage. Oh well, that's just was such a mitzvah. I, it was a lucky, it was a lucky moment, and uh, listen, it paid off because we recorded so many great scores there. Thanks, Carol. Thank you, Kenny. Hey, Score listeners, we're so grateful for the support of Spitfire Audio. They collaborate with people like Hans Zimmer and the Bernard Herrmann Estate to build sample libraries that elevate your music. You're about to hear a musical demo of what that sounds like. Robert, that is so true. And as an exclusive to our Score listeners, that's you and and viewers now, uh, we have a deal for you. Spitfire is offering 25% off your first order of Spitfire products. Just use the promo code SCORE2021 in the cart. That lets them know we sent you, and it saves you a bunch of money. So use it while it lasts. It's exclusive to you, the SCORE, the podcast listeners. Just go to SpitfireAudio.com and use the promo code SCORE2021 to save 25%. Now check this out. We're going to play you a cue right now from the Abbey Road 1 Orchestral Foundations Package. Take a listen.
Again, that promo code is SCORE2021. It won't last forever, so don't wait. Use it now to save 25% off your first order of Spitfire products. And I think in two weeks, we're coming back with another episode. What do you think about that, Robert? I can't wait. And I think the only appropriate way to acknowledge the wonderfulness of this episode we just finished is to ask composer Carol to say bye. Bye. <laughs> We're there. I love the delay. There was some drama there. We I, needed to I score that. No, we could have scored that, that, that with it. the Abbey Road One Orchestral Foundation. It was emotional package. for me just yeah, to hear that. That pause, that. that pause really kind of like... <sighs> Bye. All right. We'll see you in a couple weeks on Score <laughs> the Podcast, or you can join more Score and uh, get some listening going right now. There's tons waiting for you on more Score. Join now, and uh, we'll see you.